Well, amen. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians as we keep working through one, one section at a time. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We're in chapter 11. We're at the second section of that, beginning in verse 17. We're going to be looking down through verse 34 this morning. And as you see, the tables are set accordingly this morning. And we will not only have a time of God's Word, but we will have even an extended time of worship after this to celebrate not only communion with each other, but then our response to our Lord. And so let us stand to our feet, for this is God's Word. As we begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you Come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order for those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating... Each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord, that Jesus... On the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes, let's pray together. Lord, we acknowledge today that we have gathered on Sunday for a reason. And we have gathered in worship together for a reason and set the tables for a reason. And Lord, your son is that reason. And uh, so today, Lord, uh, we live in a different context. And as we looked at... Last couple weeks, sometimes it involves us understanding what was going on in their, their culture and what's going on in ours. So, Lord, help us, we pray. We would not come before you in an unworthy way this morning, but we would bring honor and glory to your Son, who lived, died, and rose again, and has promised to return. And to this, Lord, today, we remember and we give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. So flip back with me to the beginning of chapter 11 because last week we had 180 weekend and we, uh, we preached something a little bit different. And so look at chapter 11 and remember that the question of tradition came up, whether it was good or whether it was bad. And Paul overall, if you remember, Chapter 11, verse 2, he said, I commend you. That word commend just means praise. I'm praising you. 
In other words, this first section in chapter 11, he's saying, overall, we've got a few problems. We've got some ladies, and they're causing some problems. We need to, we need to deal with that. But overall, y'all, y'all are doing good. Y'all are staying with traditions that has been handed down, and these are good because of what they mean. And now we get to verse, now flip over, at least it is in my Bible, to verse 17. We have this, I praise you not. <laughs> so he says, I praise you, I praise you not. Paul always knows how to deal with conflict. He usually tries to bring up the good before he puts his finger on the bad. But you've, as we've worked through 1 Corinthians, we've, started, we've seen there's just a lot of bad to have to deal with sometimes. And, and uh, I think we've all been humbled as we work through 1 Corinthians because we see ourselves and the local church just as applicable now as it was then. But what we're getting at here in this section, and we're not done as we look within the spiritual gifts, is how do we handle ourselves in corporate worship? What is the nature of corporate worship? How could we be instructed in corporate worship? I was reminded as this text goes of a time, and the child's name will remain nameless so they won't embarrass them even, even though... They're not here right now. I had a child one time. I was in growth group. And come, got me. You need to come. So-and-so is... You know what he had done? He had kicked the kid's pastor. The kid's pastor said something he didn't like, and whop, you know. And so he called me in. What ensued after that, you think? Discipline. <laughs> we see that in the text today. And I'm going to... Re- turn to this a couple times at the end because this is where the text ends. And I hope that you may see the discipline hand of God in a different way today because of this text. There's another critical thing that's not happening in our context that was happening in that, that sometimes even when we read Acts, it can be confusing. The early church did what they called agape meals. This is love feast. It's what we see in the way it's translated in Scripture. But the word come from that God love, that selfless love of God, the agape meal. It was a fellowship meal. The Lord's Supper was attached to it. It was part of it. It was practiced from the first to the third centuries. By the fourth century, we don't see it anymore. That's what, that was what was going on in this text today. It was a visible expression of the, of the command of God to love each other. It was a celebration of the fact that we are one covenant family and that Christ died to make us one. And so I want you to just put this in your mind. This will help in the context. The reason they were celebrating this communal meal with the Lord's Supper was three points. They were celebrating their covenant community. Number two, they were celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And then a practical aspect of this, this was taking care of the poor within them. So let me illustrate it. Find a couple of guys. Let me pick on Brent. He's back here in the back row. And Jeff. Okay? So they're part of Corinth. They're pagans. Right? The gospel comes in. And Jeff, see, he owns a couple of ships. He sells his goods up and down the coast. And therefore, he's pretty well off. Got a nice house. Brent's a servant, right? Both of those come under the gospel message, and God saves both of them. Class system, wealthy, poor. All of a sudden, what happens? 
Both these men are saved. Both are incorporated into the body of Christ. And so, quite practically, the church didn't go in debt for $3 million to build a building. Okay? That's a Western idea that we've got to have a building to have a church. They simply looked at who God had saved and they said, Jeff, brother, you got the biggest house, right? We're coming to your house Sunday, right? That's most likely the context of what's going on here. And so the wealthy house then would have an atrium, a, a courtyard. They would have a dining area, probably seated nine or ten people. But the atrium, you could, you could squeeze 50, 60 people in there if you wanted to. That was the context. The communal meal then was part of their worship where they would come in, they would share this meal together. And what was happening in this that, that's just Paul is tore up about is that Jeff, being the wealthy, would his friends would come in and they would all that culture, they would bring their food in, they would set it on the table, everybody would eat together. What was happening was Brent being the servant has to work a little bit longer before he comes to worship. By the time he comes into worship, they've already eaten and left him out. So the poor find themselves sitting in the atrium by themselves, feeling like second-class citizens of the community, or to say it better with, they feel like what they feel out in the world. It's a little bit less than. Not to mention they missed the Lord's Supper. That's, the, that's what's going on here. So there's a couple things, and I want us to see it today. The main idea, the Lord's Supper must be approached with, as one body with humble awareness and sober recognition. There's two aspects under one category. We are one body. So therefore, when we come together for corporate worship, we should be both aware, should also be sober in our mind. I want you to see two things. Both of them start with C. Our covenant community and our covenant care. Take notes. That's our sub points. Covenant community and covenant care. We are, in other words, to say it this way, we are united, we are not divided, and yet the local church now and then always has trouble with division. Look at verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. So, Paul's concern through the whole letter, you remember, has been covenant oneness, has been covenant unity, or you might would say the lack of thereof. If you think about it, we got together yesterday and, and cleaned our building together and, and worked together all day. If Christ would not have saved you, would, you have, would I have been unscrewing screws from a board with Mike? Would we be as close as we are, or Jason and his ability? If God would not have saved us, we would not even have the privilege to be able to do something as simple as work together. This is part of the reason for the communal meal in that culture. They were simply recognizing we will be with these people forever. We are their covenant family now and forever. We celebrate this fact. Christ died for that. It's important. We see it was a problem all through the letter. Look at, flip back to chapter 1. Look at verse 10. I mean, he's the very beginning of Paul's letter. He goes right for this. Do you remember the way they were treating leaders and, and such? And verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He is encouraging to that end. Why? Because they're not. 
And so we see another example when they come to the table, to this communal meal. They were divided. It was a class system just like it was in the culture. You see, the Christian community turned the world upside down because of their community. This didn't exist. Where else in Rome could you find a slave and a free man and a wealthy elite and a poor citizen together in one place as one family? Nowhere. Only in the body of Christ. We even said that with worldview last week. In true Christianity, there is no classism. There is no racism. We gather together. Look at verse 18. As a church. They have nothing in mind about a building. Building is not the church. They were gathering together as God's covenant people. In a house. And wherever they gathered, there was the church. Think about this. We have maximized what the Bible does not even mention. Buildings. And we have minimized oftentimes the symbols of the scripture that should be observed. Why do we worship on Sunday? We worship on Sunday because this is the day our Jesus was rose again. Why do we come to the tables? Because our Jesus died. And we will remember those two things until he comes and takes us home. Those symbols are critical. They need our attention. We gather wherever God gathers us up. And he says, this is better. It's better when we gather together. We're thinking about the resurrection. and We're remembering his death. We're hoping for his return. That's better. But when you gather in verse 17, he said, it's for the worse. It's for the worse. Look at verse 19. I want you to see this. This is almost surprising that he would say this. You see, we are one body, but not everybody is one. Verse 19, look at this. For there must be factions or divisions among you. Why? In order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. There is within the church, the visible and the invisible church, those who profess faith in Jesus Christ and those who are God's. And what he's saying is that those who belong to the Lord will show themselves by their unity in community. And those who show themselves not to be His will show them by the way they breed discord in the body of Christ. This word genuine just means approved. They will show that they are approved of God or not. You see, God's people loves what God loves and hates what God hates. If God does not hate, he cannot love. Proverbs 6, we know this, I think. Verse 16 tells us what God hates. Therefore, we can also understand what God loves by that. It says there are six things. Proverbs 6, verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. Verse 19, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. So grab this first sub-point here. How we treat each other demonstrate whose we are. 
That's what he's saying. How we are treating each other for them in this communal meal is demonstrating who belongs to the Lord and who does not by the way you treat each other. The Lord's Supper is approached as one body with humble awareness of our covenant care. Covenant care. That just simply means that our community has a quality to it. Has a character to it. That is, is characterized by selflessness and love. By selflessness and love. Who's the measure of that? Christ is. In other words, you could say it this way. Our selflessness. The Lord's Supper is not about me. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, one of you goes ahead with his own meal, and one goes hungry, another gets drunk. Look at the exclamation point in verse 22. What? <laughs> what are you doing? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Very important what I'm about to say. We're going to make some changes in our weekly corporate worship based off of this statement right here because this is reality of Scripture. The celebration of the Lord's Supper was a central element in the worship of the early church. Let me say that again. The celebration of the Lord's Supper was a central element in the worship of the early church. Not something to be neglected to once a quarter, but something that should be weekly celebrated. You can't get around it. Acts 20 verse 7 says, On the first day of the week we came together to break bread. So what we're getting now is understanding that what they're doing is this communal meal where they get together, they celebrate their covenant community because it took Christ's death to provide it. <laughs> what do you say? Look at verse 20. He said, I don't know what you're doing. It's not the Lord's Supper. So what this thing y'all were doing when you gather together with all your little rich buddies, it's not communion. It's not covenant community. Matter of fact, verse 19 is rather dangerous because it's actually showing you something different. You see, there was two selfish problems going on. One was they were unaware that the Lord's Supper, they were apparently unaware, that the Lord's Supper was not meant to satisfy hunger. It wasn't an ordinary meal. It was characterized, look at the tables, by its simplicity. I love the CSB version here. It says in verse, about verse 21, For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. You see that? This selfish individualism that has crept, has crept back into the local church. It's wrong. It's at number two, they were unaware, that the, apparently unaware, that the Lord's Supper was meant to build up the body of Christ. It was not there to humiliate. It was there to bring a congregate, not to isolate. It's there for a celebration that we are one because of Him. Look at verse 22. This is, this is soberly clear this morning. To neglect the covenant community is to despise the church Christ died to redeem. What does that word despise mean? It means to look down on. Or you could say it means to think little about it. We despise something when we neglect it. We despise it 
when it doesn't have it a priority in our life. How important, brothers and sisters, is the local church in your life? How much do you think of God's people in the work of ministry in your everyday? See, covenant community looks like covenant care. It brings both an unselfish desire for each other. It also looks like covenant love. Look at verse 33 and 34. Go all the way to the end of the section. I want you to just see this, just simply. Look at verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come to eat, so he's not telling them they need to stop eating, right? Look at what he says. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let them eat at home, so that when you come together, it won't be for judgment. In other words, what is, what, what is the solution to the problem? Let's use our illustration with Jeff and Brent. He's just saying, Jeff, wait on Brent to get off work. Right? I know if you're hungry, eat a snack. Eat it at home. You're one body. This, is, this meal means something. The symbol is more important than the meal itself. It means what it means. Wait on him. Why? Because we prefer him over ourselves. Christ not only modeled that, he died to make that true. We wait for each other because we love each other. Listen, we have to answer the, ask these, these introspective questions, not only individually, but as a church. What is it that we are united around? Is it the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or is it our buildings, our programs, and our socioeconomic circles? If they went away tomorrow... If the government took away our tax status and churches begin to close and programs begin to be trimmed, what would bring you to the body of Christ? Would it be the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you enjoy the family Christ died to make you one with? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this is what this table is supposed to remind us of. This reminds us that we are one we are here to celebrate that fact. So we come together to the table that we give thanks that Christ died to make us one with each other. But it should be also approached with a soberness. A soberness. And some, it just should, some sober things should lead you to celebrate and some should lead you to go, whoa. <laughs> we see both of these in here. So look with me at verse 27. I want you to first, I just want us to roll around in this and then we're going to start singing in a minute. We're going to sing these same things. What do we need to recognize when we come to the table? We've talked about what we should be aware of. We should be aware of our covenant community. It should express itself in tangible ways, care and love for each other. But what should we recognize when we come to the table? We should recognize our redemption in Jesus Christ. This is, should be obvious and central. But notice, look at with me in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on that night when he was betrayed took the bread. So I first simply want you to recognize the context of our redemption. Do you see it? Betrayal. The context of the greatest act of love in history sits in the backdrop of someone who should have loved him and instead betrayed him. You see how this affects how we live. The context of our redemption in Christ 
was constructing the greatest betrayal in history. We also need to recognize that the Lord's Supper was a tradition that was handed down by Christ Himself. It's not a man-made tradition. It's just not one of those traditions we need to set up and say, should we still really do this or not, or are we just doing it because we've always done it? No. The Lord's Supper is one that Jesus himself says, you observe this until I come back for you. Most important, look at verse 24 to 26. Let me just read it. When they had, when, and when he had given thanks, this is what the, the Lord has given to us. This is what Paul in turns gives to the church. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We need to recognize the Lord Jesus' death. Brothers and sisters, this is why we should do this regular. Jesus died. That should just give you Paul's, the Son of God. He died. <laughs> Why? Why this way? This is what this table reminds us of. He took the bread and he broke it for you. We should recognize that we are sinners in need of atonement when we come to the table. We are sinners in need of atonement. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 5.11 says this, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are sinners in need of atonement. We are, have a need to be reconciled to the God that we have offended. We remember this when we come to the table. And we remember, we recognize that our sin was imputed to Christ. This is not in your notes. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. There should be a profoundness to you, brothers and sisters, that the promise of our Lord Savior was recorded hundreds of years before it happened in detail by the prophets. We need to recognize our sin was imputed to Christ. Look at verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the listen, you want to know what the word imputed means? Look at it. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's your imputation right there. He had taken your sin and my sin and laid it on Christ as if he was sinful he wasn't done was he when we come to the table we recognize that our sin was imputed on him because we had need to be reconciled we had need to be atoned for but we recognize that in Christ his righteousness was imputed to us stay in Isaiah 53 look at verse 5 he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. Do you see that? Look at verse 11 of Isaiah 53. Out of the anguish of His soul, He shall see and be satisfied. By His knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, 
make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This we remember when we come to the table. I was a sinner in need of atonement. I was a person who had separated myself from the God that, I, that deserves my worship. And that in Christ, God slaughtered his own son as if he was a sinner like me. And then that son gave you his very righteousness. This we remember. This is important, brothers and sisters, this next, this next one. Because I keep hearing Christians say this. I realize Jesus died for me, but I'm still trying to forgive myself. Can I help you this morning? Can I help you? We need to recognize that our sins are gone. Our sins are gone forever. Can I explain to you the Day of Atonement this morning? Leviticus 16. You can look it up. Look at it. That's why you need to study the Old Testament. Because the Lord's Supper is not near as sweet until we understand there was a day, you see. The temple of God, remember? The presence of God's people. The Holy of Holies. No one was allowed in there. Not even the priest. Except for one day a year. It was the day of atonement for the people of God. And so the priest had to go into the presence of the Holy of Holies. But the priest had a problem, didn't he? Do you remember his problem? He was a sinner in need of atonement. He was not perfect. And so the priest first had to bring animals in for himself. I want you to understand that this morning. There was three basic elements to the Day of Atonement. The animals, the priest, and the people. And so this priest first, he needed two things just like the people did. What did he need? He needed atonement. For his sin. And he needed purification for that sin. So you see sin brings not only the wrath of God. The sin stains whatever it contacts. It is like this coronavirus that is going around. It not only contaminates, it spreads. Priests had this problem. The people had this problem. So the priest brought an animal sacrifice in for himself for atonement and purification before he dared enter into the presence of the Almighty. He offered it for himself. And then what did he do? Do you remember? It's two goats, two animals tied that place. One was for atonement, and so he brought the animal for the people. He sacrificed that innocent, spotless Animal for the people of God. It wasn't done. Do you remember? There was a scapegoat tied up. Got to understand these two elements for this to, for to come to the table rightly this morning. One was atonement. One propitiated God's wrath. He removed it so that God could be merciful. But there was another lamb called a scapegoat. He was also innocent. He was also spotless and that scapegoat was brought in instead of the people. The priest put his hands on that goat and, and imputed the sins of the people onto that goat and that goat was led outside the camp to be removed forever. You say, why is that important? 
Because brothers and sisters, when we come together as one body, when we come to the table, we remember that we were sinners in need of atonement. And that Christ imputed our sins to His Son to atone for sin. And Christ imputed His righteousness to us so that we dare could enter into the presence of God. Yes, we dare because we are righteous in Christ. But we remember this this morning. When we come to the table, my sins are gone. If I bring my sin of yesterday up to myself, I sin, not because that sin is there, but because it is sin to bring it up again. For Christ has removed it. We do not bring the sins of yesterday up to ourselves or others, lest we simply bring it up to say, look how merciful my Lord is. That's what happens when you bring up the sins of a Christian who understands the gospel. He is simply going to use it to bring glory and honor to the Jesus that should have convicted him, but instead pardoned him by the death of his own son. This we remember when we come to the table. Our sins are gone. Jeremiah 31, 33. It's the new covenant, brothers and sisters. Listen to it. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. For no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Do you see the practice that they were holding, fulfilling the new covenant, bringing the community of faith and the greatest of the least, all one in Christ? We need to recognize our redemption in Christ. Also part of that, brothers and sisters, look at verse 26. We need to recognize that Jesus is coming again. We won't always celebrate the Lord's Supper. We won't. Look what it says, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you herald, you preach the gospel. You proclaim the Lord's death until when? Until He comes. As Christians, you see what we're doing? Do you understand what we're doing today? We're retelling Our story as rebels who became friends, as pagans who became followers of Christ, we tell our story that Christ died for us so that we may be part of the covenant puny forever. This table is simple for a reason. Why? Because it reminds us that there is another table this being prepared for us. And that table will not be simple. It will be glorious. And we will celebrate it together. We need to recognize our redemption in Christ. But even more soberly, this morning, before we come to the table, we need to recognize the Lord that we are one with. Yes, we are adopted into the family. And He is our Father. And Jesus Christ is our brother. But we need to remember the language of this text has Lord in it for a reason. We need to remember who we've been made one with. Whoever therefore, verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of Christ. 
How many people have ever seen anybody stepping on an American flag or burning it? See that? It goes in ebbs and seasons where people begin to do that. Is, is he insulting a flag when they do that? No. They're insulting a country that the flag represents, you see. The flag represents something greater than itself. This is what he's saying about the table. This represents something greater. And so how we come, how we treat each other in community either brings honor to our Lord or dishonor and there is no middle ground. You see, this is what's going on. People oftentimes try to individualize this unworthiness here. There is corporate unworthiness going on here. There is a despising of the poor believers in covenant community. This was making them unworthy. Their actions towards the poor of believing poor in the church contradicted the love of Christ that died for them. Look at the text, brothers and sisters. To despise the church family is to despise Christ. To neglect the family of God is to neglect Christ. There is no one is a picture of the greater. So it is with your marriage. We fight for our marriages because of what it represents. It's greater. They are not only despising the poor that's making them unworthy. They are coming to the table with no thought of Christ's death cost. What it cost. What it provided. And no thought of the fact that today is not the day of the marriage supper of the lambs. And we should not try to turn the church or this world into heaven on earth. It's not. Today we have been given a mission. But then our mission will be complete and we will celebrate. He's saying to them, listen. If you despise the poor in your community, if you despise the church, if you come to the table with no thought of Christ's death and what it cost, you're guilty. Do you see it? You will be guilty concerning the body and blood of our Lord. That is a legal liability. You you become liable for what? For the death of Christ. Do you see it? You become guilty. You, see, you feel the soberness? <laughs> That's what he's saying. He's saying, y'all, think about the context now. The communal, the communal time they're turning this into a party. A party for the rich. To leave out the poor. He's sitting there going, you, you better realize that the symbol of the Lord's Supper symbols something that is greater. And it is not safe to despise the church. Or the Lord Jesus Himself. In other words, look at what it says in verse 28. Let a person examine himself. And then so eat the bread and drink the cup. We need to recognize the need this morning before we come to the table to examine ourselves. That's what He's saying. And no, Christian, it is not okay for you this morning to say, I'm just not going to take it. What is it telling us to do? Look at the text. To examine yourself and so come eat. The gospel is enough to cover your insufficiency. Christ died for our sins, not only to forgive and to atone, but to remove. 
And so in our examination, if we find ourselves bitter against God's church or God's people or one another, we repent. Receive the blood and body of Christ as sufficient for your sins and come to the table. Lord's table, listen, this is important. We've said this a couple weeks ago. The Lord's table, it's not simply a place for you to remember. It is a place for you to commit yourself anew to God's people and the Lord himself. It's just what we do when we come to the table. There's also another thing that it might need to happen this morning in 2 Corinthians 13.5. We see this, we read this, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Could we have God in us and not know it? We need to recognize something, and I think for me this is the part that hit me late. (laughs) Sometimes something will hit me even more so on Saturday evening as I go over the sermon one last time and something will hit me and normally I'm just it's just because we must examine ourselves we need to recognize that God will judge his own that's what he's saying for anyone who drinks without discerning the body and both the body eats and drinks judgment on himself verse 30 that is why many of you are weak ill and some have died the promise of judgment looms over those who do not take covenant commitment in God's body seriously. You see here, I'm not making the text up. Look at verse 30. It says, many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. Praise the Lord, we see even his mercy there. You see this discipline, I want you to understand this. This discipline of sickness and death is not final judgment. It is remedial. It is disciplinary. It is discipline. It is the same thing I did when my child kicked the worship pastor or the, the kids pastor. Here's what I didn't do. I didn't go home and get their Barney backpack and pack it up and say, you blew it. Hit the door. No. It is precisely because God loves you that He disciplines you. It is a good thing for God to spank His own children. Hebrews 12 says this, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. He is telling us today we should do a self-judgment that prevents a remedial disciplinary judgment. And both of those things are a mercy from God so that you don't not face final judgment. You see that, brothers and sisters. God is a merciful God. Ray Comfort, I listen to him sometimes. If you ever look him up on YouTube, he, and when he's evangelizing, he, he, he always asks them this question. If you're standing on the edge of a cliff... What are you going to feel? Scared. You know, everybody says, I'm scared. I'm going to fall. He said, well, is that fear that you fear, is it good or bad? Of course, most of them usually say bad until he says, now, think about that. What is that fear telling you to do? Back up. Back up. He said, that fear is good. 
That fear is meant to give you a a warning precisely because God loves you. So I thought about this coming to the table this morning myself. I remembered my own rebellion. I remembered a time when I knew better and didn't care. I knew better. I knew the truth and didn't care. What did God do? Pursued me. He disciplined me. He restored me. And he made me your pastor. This we remember when we come to the table. That even the harsh times in your life are mercy, mercy, mercy. God making much of us by making us like his son. Let us remember a story. It is our story. Our story is his story. Let us approach the table, brothers and sisters. I can remember being in Romania. We practice open communion. You know what that means? It means if you're in Christ today, you're invited to the table. I remember in another country experiencing communion. Coming to that table. Thinking about the day. When I will, with Christy Sonia, who's a pastor in Romania, one day I will worship and celebrate and serve and, and share the, the, the wedding feast of the lambs with Christy in Romania and all those other believers. I just want to call you to something this morning, brothers and sisters. As we come to the table, let's remember three things. They're on the screen. I want you to remember this morning the precious nature of the covenant community. I want you to remember the high price of our redemption in Christ. And I want you to remember the sure promise that Christ will return for you. Turn with me to Luke 22, 14. Let's read this together. And then we're going to worship and come to the table. Luke 22, verse 14. Everybody have it? All right. Luke 22. Let's read verse 14. Let's, let's read together out loud. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Brothers and sisters, the first song we're going to sing is going to give you an opportunity to give thanks and commit yourself to the Lord. So we're going to worship for a little while now. And I don't want you to be in a hurry to come to the table. I want you to spend a few minutes... Singing that song, let that song be the song of your heart this morning. And then as you're ready, come get both elements and go back to your seats. And as you worship the Lord and sing, 
Let us take communion together. Let's pray. Lord, now as we come to this time that the early church has done for 2,000 some years, Lord, now we come and, and we remember that we are our body because you died to make us one. And you love your church and so do we. We come to remember that and to commit ourselves afresh to her. To love her and to keep her and to protect her. And Lord, we remember especially that your son died. His body broken, his blood shed. So that we might not only be forgiven but adopted. And Lord, we remember and long for the day that we will all sit around the table together. A table of community and oneness. We long for that day. And so, Lord, now, will you receive our worship? As we remember your son, Lord, will you receive our worship as we call to mind the great work of redemption that you have done? We pray this in the only name that saves, the only name that made us your church, the only name that can forgive us for our sins, the only name by which we are adopted, his name is Jesus. Amen.